welcome to the Time Pieces History Podcast. You're listening to a bonus episode. In today's show, Gudrun talks to Tiana Wilson Bays, productivity and time management coach and history fan. Tiana shares her love of medieval architecture on Instagram and on Twitter. They talk about what Tiana thinks we can learn from our past, what architecture tells us about what the world was like at a particular time, and the significance of the buildings left behind, as well as exploring a little more about Tiana's other passion, World War II. Good morning, Tiana. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope you're well. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, um, we are still holding up during lockdown, so <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not that bad. It's 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 getting better, I think, isn't it? It's a funny time, but uh, yeah, good. Um, so I have invited you you on because I, I know you're passionate about history, but I know that um, in your adopted hometown of Newcastle, um, you're you're famous uh, for as a productivity coach and for um, booting bottoms. You've booted my bottom more than once. Um, so can you tell the listeners a bit about what it is that you you do when you're not um, delving into history, please? Sure. Um, well. <sighs> My day job is, um, like you said, a productivity strategist, um, and I work mainly with uh, business owners in the creative industries um, to help them stay focused, help them stay on track and get things done, um, and just sort of increase their productivity and decrease their, their overwhelm. Um, and I love working with uh, creatives just because they are, are interesting people. So that is my, my day job. Um, and I do love it. Um, do I love it as much as history? I don't know. They are about 50, 50 in, in my world. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, uh, that's a brilliant answer. Um, so I, I obviously, um, we know each other quite well and I, I follow you on Instagram and your feed is full of absolutely beautiful photographs of architecture and you're giving a lot of useful and really interesting um, information on all the buildings. What is it that appeals to you about, about the architecture and about, I know you, you often focus on something that most people wouldn't even notice, you know, like a, a window or a little, an alcove or an interesting piece of coving. What is it that that you find interesting and that you think maybe it's important to document that? Well, you know, history in general, over and above architecture, history in general is, it's important that we learn from from history. That's why I'm so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Um, We can learn from our past mistakes and hopefully not repeat them again. Um, And we can build on past learning. So history as a subject is a very big place with a whole lot of things that we can learn, um, which always inspires me. Um, But certainly on on the architecture side, um, I believe if we can understand why something was built um, and how it was built, there's a story behind it. It's so they built this castle in this specific location to ward off attackers or to dominate that area. So then you can look back at the people who ordered the castle to be built and see, okay, who were they and why did they need that castle there? So for, for example, you'll see in, in the, the Northeast of, of England, there are many castles and fortified houses purely because of 
the Scots always raiding the English and vice versa. So yeah. this whole area is um, full of, of beautiful architecture and it helps you understand why things were done. So you can look, like you said, beautiful windows or um, uh, arrow loops in specific places mm -hmm. in a castle. Why did they have those arrow loops there? Possibly because they expected an attack from that direction. So it's it helps you understand the deeper history behind that specific structure. It's it's fascinating. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's endlessly fascinating. I think, and um, yeah, obviously the, the northeast is is full of of castles because we were such a strategic a place of strategic importance. So yeah, it's. There's a lot of good castles. If you like a castle, come to the northeast. Uh, there's Indeed. plenty to look at. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> castles, fortified houses, churches, um, town walls. There's there's so much to see and explore and learn from. It, it's well, if I if I live six lifetimes, I'll not be able to see it all. So yes, there, <laughs> there is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know that also. Um, You've also got an interest in the, the, the war, haven't you, particularly the Second World War. What is it that intrigues you about, about that? Because that's obviously fairly recent history um, and certainly in living memory for still some people, certainly, you know, parents and grandparents um, will, will have some experience of that in one way or another. Why, why is it that that interests you? Well, actually, uh, my interest in the Second World War came before before my interest in medieval history. Um, so I started studying the Second World War when I was about 11 or 12 years old. Um, and I, I suppose I got interested um, because both of my grandfathers uh, fought in the war. Um, so there were a little bit of talk about that at the time um, when I was growing up. And um, I, I met uh, an older gentleman um, who was a friend of my father, um, and he fought in the war. And he, unlike many of of the war veterans, um, were quite. He was quite happy to chat about it. So mm -hmm. I suppose that sparked my my interest. Um, but I suppose throughout my my life of researching history, I've always like to ask why or how um, I like to understand the story behind the story mm -hmm. um, and certainly for the second world war it's it's questions like why did the second world war start and how did it come about that events sort of came together to to trigger this massive com conflict mm -hmm. um, so it's I like to understand the, the deeper story and, and certainly the deeper story there is also um, a people that are, are beaten down or oppressed will always rise up and, and fight back. Yeah. Yes, they, they may lose the battle, but mm. they'll, they'll fight. I mean, you can look at, at the Second World War. Certainly um, Germany as a nation was sort of beaten down um, yeah at the end of, of the First World War, um, which I suppose triggered the Second World War in a way. And if you look further back in, in history, um, when Edward uh, treated the, the Scots so badly in the 13th century, you had people rise up around William Wallace to fight back. Yeah. So, you know, it's... And I think we can learn from these conflicts and, like I said, hopefully not repeat them. You know, if... If we can learn not to oppress people, not to beat people down, yep. um, 
maybe we'll avert any further wars. I don't know. But, you know, for yeah. me, it's, it's, it's that's the deeper history. Yeah, I think it's, um, if nothing else, I would hope it teaches us some compassion. You know, exactly. it's, it's about thinking about, about the other person, the other group of people and what they want and what they need as much as what we would like, isn't it? And I think that's a, a really good lesson to, to take from history. Exactly. And I, I just wish that um, as, as people and as leaders, we can learn these, these lessons. But it seems history keeps repeating itself, sadly. Sadly, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm hoping for, for the day where we can actually sit down as a, a world um, and just say, look, let's learn from history and, and not do this anymore. But hey-ho, there we go. <laughs> well, fingers <laughs> crossed one day. Um, so there's, there's obviously there's lots and lots of stuff still being written and published and discovered about the, about the Second World War. And, you know, obviously we've had some uh, VA Day um, celebrations and commemorations recently. So there's a lot of things I think that are still misunderstood or there's sort of, there are accepted wisdoms. Is there anything that you've noticed um, that's a sort of conventionally accepted um, knowledge about, about the Second World War that's actually incorrect and it's, it's just become sort of, uh, particularly as, as somebody who's moved to the UK, you know, are there things that we, the British, think that are actually incorrect? Is there anything that's ever intrigued you or piqued your curiosity when you've been studying oh there are many <laughs> um, the, the thing is um history gets written by the victors you you have to always remember that and history is somebody's perspective mm-hmm. so whenever you research history you have to bear in mind that this person wrote that bit of history with his or her perspective um and sadly a lot of historians either don't do their their research properly or they misunderstand or misquote things and then misunderstandings happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And then this just gets sort of um, more people follow that and repeat that. And, and it's, it's not always true. And it's, it's little things like, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people believe that um, the Germans invented uh, concentration camps, um, Mm which is by no means the truth. I mean, um, in fact, it was the British forces um, in Southern Africa, in uh, the Republic of Transvaal and Republic of Orange Free State. That that doesn't surprise me that it was the British. Yeah, it's it's, um, during the the Second Anglo-Boer War, they used concentration camps, sadly, very effectively in Mm. Southern Africa. So it was by no means a German invention, although a lot of people believe that it was. Um, So that's a misunderstanding or a misconception. Um, And another one, of course, um, and this, I I suppose, is um, put out there by sensationalist um, TV programs. You know, if you watch History Channel, they always have these documentaries and, and TV shows about how we fought the Nazis and how bad the Nazis were and um, it was the British against the Nazis. Well, actually, that is not quite true because mm-hmm. if you think about it, the Nazis was a political party. It was the National Socialist German uh, Workers' Party. Yeah. Um, so you can't have a country fight 
a party. Yeah. It's, it's apples and pears, you know. So yeah. we fought the German nation. We did not fight the Nazis. And in fact, a lot of, of German um, soldiers were not members of the Nazi party. If you look at people like um, Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, he was never a member of the Nazi party. So, you know, I just think certainly the younger generations, they sort of have been swept up in this um, this myth that we fought the Nazis. We did not. We fought the German uh, people, yeah. the German nation. Um, or else, if you want to say that we fought the Nazis, you have to say that it was the Tory party fighting the Nazi party. Yeah. You know, so... You have to make that distinction. It's little things like that, but I think it gets perpetrated over and over by successive historians and uh, TV presenters and, and all of this. And I just think um, things like that needs to be made absolutely clear. If you're going to study history, you have to be precise, as yeah. precise as you can be. Anyway, yeah, don't get no, me started. <laughs> I, think, I think that's true, and I think you also have to be – you have a responsibility if you studied it to – to report that back precisely. And I think that's really interesting about, about, you know, this, it's a lazy way of looking at it that we, we fought the Nazis. Um, was when the, um, was it Ratzinger became Pope? He was the German mm-hmm. um, Pope, wasn't he? And people said, Oh, but you know, we can't have him as the Pope. He was in the Hitler youth. Everybody was in the Hitler youth because if you weren't in the Hitler youth of the younger matron, your family was going to be persecuted and tortured. And that was everybody. So, you know, to go, Oh, he was in the Hitler Youth. Is it you know as if as if in a, as a little boy that was what he wanted? And I think I think that's a really good point you've made. It's it it's la- it's like lazy journalism, isn't it? It's you know it is not it is yeah. It's it's quite right what you say. It's um, if you were not in the Hitler Youth as a, a young one in Germany, you and your family had no chance of surviving, really. Um, and really, can you blame a four, five, six, seven-year-old for his political views? I mean, really? You have no political views. You do what you're told at that age. You know, so, yeah, I, I think people, as you say, it's it's lazy history to just accept things like that at face yeah. value. You've got to think about the deeper story. Yeah. And then, of course, because otherwise we're not learning anything from history, are we? You know... Exactly. If if there are misconceptions out there, of course we can't learn from history. So I know, yeah. <laughs> as I said, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's important that uh, that people think about it. Yeah. But yeah, there's obviously a lot of. I think because the war is still so recent in terms of history, I think it, people get a bit caught up in 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 how they want to think about the Second World War and the First World War because everybody knows somebody. You know, we all everybody's family lost people. And I think that kind of colours our view on it. Exactly. But, um, yeah. yeah. So moving exactly. on a, a little bit to more modern times. Um, mm. Obviously, you and I are recording this uh, during the COVID-19 lockdown, although it's going to be published a little later on in the in the year. Um, so hopefully we'll have been released by then. Um, <laughs> well, fingers crossed. We'll see how that, that goes. Um, but obviously, museums and heritage sites have obviously been hit particularly hard during the lockdown. Um, you know, and I think some of the biggest uh, sites have certainly done quite well with these virtual tours. But as an enthusiastic visitor to these venues, which I know you are, um, and you're also somebody with a, a great deal of business knowledge, what do you think they can do to encourage people to come back 
and and look around and learn once the the lockdown restrictions are eased and, and certainly also going into into the future when people are more expect more in terms of digital and and immersive experiences what what would you like to say somebody who who goes to a lot of these places I think that's a very good question because you're quite right that um, the heritage sector has been hit hard the same as as many other sectors um, during the the lockdown and the the whole COVID pandemic. Um, One thing I would love to see um, heritage sites do is, and maybe they they will have learned this from from this epidemic, um, is to maybe have more, let's call it taster sessions virtually mm-hmm. so that people can sit in their homes like they are doing now um, and go and virtually visit sites and mm-hmm. you know they can highlight maybe a small area or a small bit of a gallery or a castle or a whatever um, and just give people a bit of a taster which might whet their appetites to then say hey let me make a bucket list of places where i want to go and visit and add yep. this to bucket list um certainly during lockdown i've done as many virtual tours as i could but mm-hmm. sadly there are not that many available mm-hmm. um and i wish there would have been more so that could be something that um heritage sites can do is is offer taster virtual tours mm-hmm. um Another thing they could do is something much more practical um, to sort of get people back into the habit of um, going to visit these sites is um, small things like free parking or discounted tickets or something or family tickets um, just to sort of get the momentum going again. Um, Certainly now during the the lockdown, a lot of people are struggling financially. and so money will be a factor where if, uh, I don't know, if a castle charges, I don't know, 20 pounds per person to go in, if they have a small reduction and say a family of four can go for 60 quid or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it will make a difference and it will help people make that decision to go. Yeah. Um, but another point, uh, my, my last point I would say, is they maybe need to think a little bit less traditionally in their Mm. marketing Um, and they may want to think about using influencer marketing much more um, Mm -hmm. now and in future where if you get um, I don't know an enthusiastic historian who is happy to go to a site and I don't know write a blog or do Facebook posts or Instagram or whatever it may be um, that is the kind of thing that people sit and look at now they're all on their social media and they see oh this person that I have been following for a while and who I trust is recommending that I go and visit xyz castle that will make a big impact on them yeah so I think heritage needs to think a little bit more uh, 21st century Mm -hmm. and I know a lot of them have embraced it but many of them are still very traditional in their marketing. So I think they need to do a mind shift um, and go more into influencer marketing. That will have a huge impact for them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's um I think that ticket ticket prices and, and entry fees is a, is a tricky one. Um certainly in the northeast where almost all of our um 
museums and galleries are free now. Mm. Um, you cut, but you, you, they need, they do need to um, sustain themselves so that, you know, it's not unreasonable to charge. I think mm. the thing that kind of I don't like much is this annual ticket. So I, I you, you pay a, an inflated fee for an annual ticket. I mean, we were traveling back from, from France last year and we stopped halfway up between um, Dover and, and back to Newcastle. And we happened to stop completely by chance beside um, the Battle of Bosworth Field, the site of, of, of Bosworth. Um, so we thought, well, this is fantastic. You know, we weren't, we didn't plan this, but this is an opportunity not to be missed. So we went the next morning, left the dog safely in the shade, you know, and went in for a couple of hours. And the only ticket we could buy was an annual ticket. Mm-hmm. And the, the worst thing was, was that we were obliged to sign the back of our tickets and show our driving license so they could compare our signatures. So we couldn't even give them to anybody else. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be back down here any time in the next year. You know, it's just chance I'm here. And I think that's a shame because sometimes I think perhaps I understand why they do it. You know, it, that's a sort of a sort of marketing tactic, I think. But maybe they're missing out on people who would like to come just for one day or a couple of hours and just think, you know, that £20 or £25 is a little bit too much, especially if, you know, as we said, there's a family, you know. I, I totally agree with you on that point. And it has been one of my little irks as well. Mm. Um, I think they have to remember that a lot of people who come to visit their site travels to do so. Yeah. Um, uh, certainly if you look at uh, my followers on Instagram that I have lots of conversations with, they are from all over the world and they may travel from Brazil or from Denmark or from Singapore um, for a specific holiday to come and see historical sites in the UK. They don't want an annual ticket. You know, they just want to go there for the morning or the afternoon or the day or whatever. Um, And also at the end of the day for somebody like me who visits sites all the time. I'm not necessarily going to go back to a site that I've already visited. Mm -hmm. Like we said earlier, just here in the northeast of England, there are hundreds of sites to go and see, you know, and I already need six lifetimes to cover them all. So for me to go back to a site, it has to be a very, very special site. So to buy an annual ticket is, or to force me to buy an annual ticket is, a little bit on the ridiculous side. So I'm with you on that point. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do wonder sometimes if sometimes it's, you know, places where they have a particularly nice restaurant or a coffee shop. So really mm. it's a bit, you you might go back for the coffee and cake rather than the actual site, you know. Ooh, to... Hey, I'll always <laughs> go back. Hey. Well, you know, I mean, if it's really good cake, I'd definitely be making a, a repeat visit. But um, yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I understand why they do it, but I, I'm not sure it sits comfortably with me and it, it puts me off some places, you know, if, if I know that's what they do before mm. I get there, I think it would it put me off a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. It's a lot of, lot of good stuff there. Um, my final question is, um, is one that I'm asking all of my guests um, because I love the answers that people are giving me. Um, so if you could spend a day in history, when would you travel back to or which person from history would you like to meet? 
Oh, my word. What a question. Um, there are so many. Um, there are so many conversations I would love to go and have back in history. Um, <clears throat> certainly, um, just because I'm really, really curious is um, I would love to go and have a, a conversation with, with Edward II um, sort of in the early months of 1327 because I want to find out, did he really die in 1327 or did he live on for another 10, 15 odd years? I, I would love to know that and, and have the answer to that. Um, and then there's another one, but this is <laughs> um, from historical interest, but also maybe monetary interest. I would love to go and have a conversation with Jacques de Molay, um, sort of, I would say in 1312 or so, um, 1307, and, and that, that time bracket, sort of after uh, the Knights Templars were arrested, but before he gets burnt at the stake, just to ask him, where is the Knights Templar? <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> The um the Knights nice Templar are certainly still fascinating people, aren't they? You know, and yeah. uh, you know even more than the the Knights Hospital. And I just think, it, it, wow! You know, imagine being a, a you know a religious order of of warriors mm-hmm. and having all of that money and and power. It's um yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Fascinating. It, is, it is really fascinating. I think we can uh, blame or thank Dan Brown for that as well, can't we? A little bit. That's true. Um, you know, so yeah, we've, uh, you know, I think a lot of modern day sort of historians are, are fascinated with the Knights Templar. Um, and everybody asks the question, where did the treasure go? So if, if there's a, a question I want answered, I, I think that would, that would be it. <laughs> but, yeah, there are many conversations I would love to go and, and have. Um, you know, it's if you look into history, there are people who or leaders who made a specific decision. Um, and now in hindsight, you can look at it and think, oh, that wasn't the right decision. Maybe he could have done something differently. So I think maybe it's a good thing that we can't time travel because maybe we'll go and, and warn them. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'll, I'll go and, and speak to King Harold in 1066 and say, all you have to do is wait. You don't have to go into battle against <laughs> William. You just have to wait and starve them out, you know. So... You know, I, I think it's a good thing we can't tra- time travel. But yes, if yeah. we could, I would have a lot of conversations. <laughs> I think um, I think one one that's um, in the, in the news at the minute is obviously um, Hilary Mantel's just published the the third of the um, Thomas Cromwell stories, and I would be quite tempted to go back and say to Henry VIII, "Don't bump him off because you're going to regret it." Well, you know, exactly. You know, you know, it's little things like that. <laughs> you know, as soon as you you can't kind of stick his head back on, you know, think about what you're doing, Henry. You know, I, th- I, know, I think I know. <laughs> I think Henry VIII sort of seemed like somebody who was a bit axe happy, and you know, afterwards yeah. he must have thought, oh, probably shouldn't have done that. Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> and now, with all our our clever hindsight, man, we can go and warn people, and we'll change history all together so yeah. yeah it's a good thing we can't um 
go back in time because it will change history. You know, one decision can make a big difference. So I hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is brilliant. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge, Tiana. Um, I'm sure the listeners would like to know more about about your your Instagram and maybe even uh, have their own bottoms booted. Where can people go to find out more about you? Well, the the easiest place is probably on Instagram, where um, my account is historietuk, um, and that's where I post a lot of pictures and a lot of information and research and that kind of thing. And then, of course, I have my my blog, Historiet, which um, I write blogs about uh, historical sites I visit and, and all such things. So those are the two places I would say um, it's it's the best to go and find me there and, and see what I'm up to. Fantastic. Thank you. I'll make sure they're both in the show notes. So thank, thank you, you very, very much. much for your time. And uh, Hopefully we'll see each other in the real world sooner rather than later. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Time Pieces History Podcast. Don't forget to listen next time for more quick history facts.